Hello and welcome to Peace of No Mind. Peace of No Mind. Peace of No Mind. Peace of No Mind. Hello and welcome to Peace of No Mind. My name is Ray Tanner. Hit us up at Peace of No Mind Show on Instagram and Peace of No Mind on Twitter. And you know what? If you like today's podcast, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Peace out. How are you doing, though? I'm good. I'm good. I feel really energized. Man, no one would have known that I was throwing a hissy fit a minute ago. (laughs) (laughs) We got you. It's one of those. You know what, guys? I'll keep it so chill. You know when you're recording such a banging episode and then the whole computer decides to just shut down? Yeah, yeah, that happened Mm. today. So, like, (laughs) it just shut down. Like, I managed to... Like, we were having just some real, real, real good chat. But I won't lie. I started the show like... You're welcome to peace in our mind. And you, my lovely guest, can you please introduce yourself? Snap me right out of it. Hello, I'm Sade. I'm the founder of Sour Lemons. I'm a creative producer and I'm a big advocate for turning your life sour lemons into lemonade. Jeez, like you are an exceptional human being, right? Mad. No, no, no. I've got I've got a lot of love for you and like for multiple Likewise. reasons. So what is your week been like? What have you been up to? Um, yeah, my week's been amazing. So I've got a really good blend of work, life, balance. I'm I'm a mum, so I've spent some good time with my baby. So she's nine months old. I spent time with my family, my friends, my husband, um, and doing the thing that I love the most, which is work. Um I'm not ashamed that I love to work I think it's quite a taboo thing I think like sometimes people get a bit like oh no you should like love being a mother more than work or you know you should love being with your friends more than work and yeah okay but I think there's also like a blend and there'll be days where work feels more important and other days when family feels more important and that's okay Mm -hmm. and you said something to me earlier you were like and it it still hit me because that's Uh, why I can remember it I like doing things that make my heart sing yeah right makes your heart sing yeah. What a so, beautiful way to put something, isn't it? It's yeah. like, no, I, I ain't into that today. Don't make my heart sing. Yeah, it's That's a really way good to, to be like, mm, I ain't going to make my heart sing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so at the start of the year, I sat down, as you do, and was reflecting on 2018 and thinking about what are the things that I want to bring into 2019 and what are the things that I want to say goodbye to. And one of the biggest goals I set myself is to not burn out. Over the last 10 years, I've burned out every single year and sometimes multiple times. And I've just decided that that isn't okay for me because if I stop, everything stops. And that's something, I guess, the more responsibility, the more balls and plates that I'm spinning, I realise that it's so important that I look after myself. So I've started to plan my weeks on a Sunday night, thinking really intentionally, like, what are the values that drive me? What are the things that make my heart sing? And how can I carve them into my week so that... You know, I do have dedicated time with my baby, bathing her, and that's really fun. But also I get to go and, like, um, I love, like, generosity is a big value of mine. So I love sharing. I Mm. love cooking and, like, bringing friends around and just, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, giving the things that I have, which is obviously the heart of generosity. But I do a lot of things for me are better when you share it with someone. I'm happy to have you here. I'm and so happy to be here. There's been a long time coming. It has a long, long time coming. And I want you 
to understand that with all guests that come on Peace of No Mind, mm-hmm. it is only right if I ask you, what is a peace of mind to you? Mm. And how is it best achieved? Oh, that's such a good question. Do you know, I think it goes back to what I was saying before about the values. I think that bit's really important. Like, if you, like figuring out the things that make me happy has been uh, like the best thing for my peace of mind, 100%. So being in a flow, like, so I know, like, I like to achieve things. I like using my mind. And I, I think you can get, you can get into these states where, like, you... I don't, I'm a sucker. Like, so if I read a blog of someone else and I read their mantra and I'm like, oh yeah, that should be me. Like, so I should be up at 6 a.m. every day. Like, you know, I should be doing these things. And I kind of like forced myself into thinking that that's, that version of me is who I should be. And I think the older I've got, the wiser I've become, I realised that the only, like the best version of me is just being me. Like, and I could be anybody, but there's only one me. And so I have to do the things, I guess that I like true to my spirit and make my heart sing. Otherwise... Yeah, I can always, you know, you can always tell when you're imitating and when, you know, you don't fully feel your whole self. When I've brought my whole self into situations, that's when I feel like I'm bossing it. That's when you feel a peace of mind. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And have you been waking up at like five o'clock, six o'clock, getting stuff done? I'm not a morning person. I think if I'm like pretending that I am, that's, you start your day on the, on the foot of being like, oh, you're like, you know, you didn't get up this morning, you're a failure. Like, there's no, like, yeah, you know. But you know yeah. what? Like a lot of people would be like, "Yo, you know, we're having a good chat and it's all well and good." But who are you? And what? <laughs> like that, the real question is like, who are you? Like, <laughs> um, I... tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your your, your journey to to becoming a bit more you. To becoming a bit more me. Okay, so I'm the founder of Sour Lemons, which is a social enterprise, and it addresses diversity in leadership. I'm a creative producer, so I've worked in the creative sector for the last 10 years. I started as an apprentice at the Bush Theatre and kind of worked my way up and round and in and out of lots of different spaces. But primarily, I've always worked with young people. I've always worked with communities. I've always found myself being a minority in a lot of spaces and being like the voice for change. And with that comes like lots of responsibility and mm-hmm. lots of really cool things have happened, but it's also been quite tiring. So that's what led me to setting up Sour Lemons because okay. I just, I know there are so many amazing, young, diverse people out there who come from all walks of life and they're not getting the recognition. There are barriers in place that prevent them from thriving. So I set up Sour Lemons to kind of train them up as young leaders and support them to see... Um, well, to give them a platform, really, to just create the things that they want to create. Okay. And then the other side of it is about organisational change. So I'm going like... Really no, you're not. And it's because, you know, when you know yeah, something and you believe really in it, passionate. that is when it just comes out and flows yeah. the best. Because you're talking about all of the great places you've worked. Like, have you always been in these environments where you've been privy to it? Like, have mm. you been this person that's privileged and has had someone who's been able to open the doors into the creative realms? Like, mm. where was your real lived experience for creating Sour Lemons? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, um, no, <laughs> I do not come from privilege, although I feel privileged by my experiences and I think that's a really different thing. But, you know, I've, I've had a really rich life, you, you could say, like I'm only 26 now and I feel like I've lived a very full life already. I came to working in theatre because I saw a job, it was an apprenticeship, it had business in the title, I 
didn't care about the theatre, I didn't go to the theatre, I wasn't interested in creative arts or anything like that. I wanted to start a business at some point. So I walked into the interview with so much confidence and I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't really care about theatre, but I've seen that you guys want to reach diverse young people. I'm a diverse young person from the area. I can go and do that. And that was kind of the beginning of this most beautiful journey. And looking back on it, they were obviously laughing at me, being like, uh, this girl's really arrogant but I mean she has a point you know everything kind of started from there growing up like I didn't I didn't enjoy school I was kicked out of two secondary schools where were you wait where were you based have you always been like north no Shepherd's Bush so I grew up up in Shepherd's Bush four older brothers I grew up with my mum had quite a crazy childhood you could say lots of fun lots of love lots of laughter like I was very boisterous I was a tomboy but unfortunately I got involved with lots of bad influences in my early teenage years and kind of fell into a path of like you know drugs and gangs and boys and mm. violence etc etc so when you say early teenage years how old were you like when you were first kind of immersed in this environment um i probably say like 11 12, 12. yes i was really young um and it wasn't like just to paint a picture like i've got an incredible mum and she built a very strong loving household for me and my brothers but I had quite an odd relationship with my dad and I was introduced to kind of older people quite early on who did those things and so as a young person obviously if you're sat in a room and loads of people are bunning it up you're gonna be like oh let me try pass them, me, me the split yeah so by default you know I you know I was also very angry as a teenager like I was angry at the world I was I wasn't I said I wasn't a Christian then at all like and I wasn't I didn't know self-worth like I wanted to be around people that did bad things because that was what made me feel like that's what I deserved at the time and I know that now as an adult looking back on it obviously if I said that to an 11 year old now they'd be like what are you talking about but when you were saying like you were angry at the world where did that stem from um so I was good at being bad (laughs) I'm a hundred percent like I'm driven and if I put my mind towards something I can do anything and so my mind was towards being bad and so that meant hustling it meant making money in by illegal activities getting you know I wanted to be I wanted to have the most exclusions in school so across two secondary schools <laughs> Swear, what was it a goal like you at yeah. one point you're like yo I needed yeah. this so across two secondary schools, I had 80 internal inclusions, suspensions and exclusions. And I know that number because that was what I was aiming towards. And so a flip point for me was as I got fast forward a couple of years and I had a really amazing mentor that said to me, like, you know, what if you put your mind towards something good? Mm. What could you achieve? I, I want to evolve that. So you were saying that 80 exclusions maybe in mm-hmm. your mind, like, well, like I'm out. And what was it? You, you couldn't stay in mainstream school anymore? What was? So, I mean, looking back on it, I was bored. And the way that I, like, if I was bored, I was quite facetious. So I'd ask questions, I'd question a lot of the decisions that the teachers were making. I really didn't like authority. So if I was told to do something, I wouldn't know why, why? But that's what you taught us last week. What are you teaching us now? What am I gaining from this? How's this applying to the real world? And before you know it, it'd be like, out. So I I get it now. Obviously I've done a lot of work in education as, as an adult and, I get it if you've got 30 kids in the room and you've got one person who is just like intent on disrupting everybody else's education, you just Mm -hmm. need them to get out. Mm. And so I ended up going to a pupil referral unit in West London. On my first day there, I got kicked out. And I I remember I was like high as a kite. By that point, I was 14. I was smoking a lot of weed. I was selling drugs. I was involved with older boys and girls. I was fighting. I was kind of just 
um, yeah, living a very dark and dangerous life. And at that point, I remember like jumping over the school gates and just like running. And I'd had like lots of run-ins with my mum for various reasons, mainly because I was just being bad breed. And like, obviously like mm. no no good mum is going to let you be bad breed, right? So at that point I decided to leave home. So I left home when I was 14 and- What, um, 14? Did you know anyone? Was it, or was it pretty much, let me just try and work out what I'm going to do and where I'm going to stay? No, I mean, obviously I'd met a boy. Okay, cool. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'd met a boy, he was older, you know, we rolled together, like, was part of crew and... Can you remember the name of the crew? No, and I don't want to say it. <laughs> um, I'm trying to get you, know, you to snitch in. Yeah. No, I'm joking. No, it's uh, funny. Do you know what? It joking. is so funny talking about this stuff to you now because it feels like a just a completely different lifetime away. So mm-hmm. even as I'm remembering stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, that was a thing. Like, because my life is so different now. Yeah. And yeah, but anyway, so yeah, 14, left home, went to live by myself. I didn't see my friends or family for a year. And that relationship was really disruptive. So it started off so cool. I mean, we threw house parties all the time, like, you know, lots of drugs, lots of drinking, you know. And then I started getting to the point where I was consuming so much drugs and alcohol that I was blacking out. Mm. And twice that year, I ended up in a coma, a drug-induced coma through... um you know, obviously taking too much. And like, I was a little girl lost. I didn't have my family around me. I didn't have any positive guiders in my life. I had no one. I mean, I did back home, but I wasn't at home. I was I was on my own. And um, and I was in Kilburn. I didn't grow up in Kilburn. I grew up in Shepherd's Bush. So it was all um, quite scary. At the time, it didn't feel so scary because I was, like I said, my anger really guided me. So I was very much like- um, Headstrong, yeah, man, ready against the world. I could do anything. Like no one can touch me. Yeah, and now I know there are lots of different ways to show strength and that isn't the only way of doing it. But yeah, cut a long story short, that year ended quite badly and I ended up going home to my mum who welcomed me back with open arms and basically was like, the conditions of you living here means that you have a curfew, you go back to school, you get an education and you basically you fix up and you stop acting like some bad breed child who like, you know, doesn't know that she has a good family behind her. And I did and I went back to school and I, well, the pupil referral unit I begged my teachers to take me back and they did and so I only and the only full year I've ever done an education without being suspended was year 11 and um, that was the final year in which you went back home right yeah, exactly. and at the peak of like it being terrible weren't you on yeah. like a missing poster ad? I was I remember walking past myself and seeing a picture of, like have you seen this girl missing and I remember, do you remember back in the day on the old double-decker buses at the top, they had the screens? Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing myself on the screen and, like, I was with people. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> um, and I remember going back to... Actually, when I went back to Prue, I remember, um, like, a few people who I didn't really hang out with were like, like, oh, my days, like, we thought you was dead kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, you know, obviously I'm not. But I can... Again, looking back on it, it was... It's really weird, I think, when you're young and when you're guided by anger, when you're guided by the wrong things, it's so easy to just block all that stuff out. And I have this mentality of, like, you don't feel anything. Like, it's weakness is the cry. Like, it's a weak thing to feel things, to, like... It's really, yeah, it's a really odd feeling. Mm. And your head, your head, like you said, you were lost, you were angry, and at that stage, mm. you didn't know really which way to turn. Mm. So what, now you've gone back to this referral unit, like, mm. what what's happened now? What, you've done a full year, mm. and was everything cool, like, glitter and gold, like... Oh, my days. I literally got every single certificate you could think of. Like, so I got, like, best attendance. What, like, was, your best way? what was your mindset, like, at yeah. that time? Were you like, Driven yo, like, do I need hundreds. to I need to get this year to at least complete it for my future? Or was it more of, like, all right, cool, I, I've, I've seen what darkness is. I've seen, the, I've seen a, like, a mad side. Now this is where I'm heading. Yeah, it was, like, the only way is up. And I was so intent on destroying myself. I, you know, people... I had an amazing mentor that was just like, look... You can be anyone you want to be, even yourself. 
and if you put that amazing beautiful mind towards good things good things will come to you for one like i stopped all alcohol drugs smoking cigarettes like i I gave it all up cold turkey that was like one of the main things i had to do otherwise um i had to basically cut off everyone that i was hanging around with which is really hard at the time which is definitely hard what being 16 and being told you can't chill with some of the people who were your besties yeah were they reaching out were they reaching out at you at like the time were you just like no i can't yeah 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 and you know and so because of that when i went into school i spoke to my teachers and was like basically how do i pass like don't teach me like teach me how to pass and then um, which is the, one of the biggest problems with our education system but i was so lucky and being in a pupil referral unit this is why i say i feel a privilege because i had a specialist teacher who was trained to teach within their subject and also trained to manage behavior and to deal with young people going through this lived experience of crazy stuff so i got such holistic care from all of my teachers and they, so I left that year with 11 GCSEs, A star to C. Like, I swear, yeah, one yeah, yeah. year you flipped it on one its head. Year. So that doesn't tell you, like, do you know what I mean? Like, that, that isn't an, yeah. like that. That isn't the story. Like that alone can't tell you the story of an individual right. and what they would have gone through to even get that kind of. Hundred percent, and that's the power. Like I love going to speak to young people now and being like, "Oh, guys, you know, I got 11 GCSEs, A star to C," and they're like, uh, "And I'm like, yeah, yeah." And I got like 80 exclusions in turn and you know, and they're like, what? Those two things yes, don't go together. Miss, hey, like, yeah. This is cool, you know. Hey, I big up Miss though. Mm. So now if we move that on a little bit, because mm. you you'd finished school and now mm. you're like, yo, I'm gonna maybe work in the arts. You saw something that was saying business, business apprentice. Yeah, like I mean, I finished school and then um I moved back into I moved back out of my mum's house at 16 and into youth hostels. And at that point, I was working full time in a sweet shop in Westfield. I was in the kiosk in the middle of Westfield selling sweets in Shepherd's Bush, obviously. Was doing like club promoting in the evening. So I started hanging out with these new girls who were really into um, clubbing. <laughs> so I got really <laughs> deep into that. I like putting on events and stuff that become a whole other world. And I enrolled into college. So okay. I did. I picked four A-levels and was like, you know, yeah, I'm academic. I could do this. And I signed up and I got a really deep learning curve of like oh gosh I don't learn like this I don't learn sat in a room with 30 other individuals being spoken at like I learn by doing and I really enjoyed the working element of being in the sweet shop and the clubbing but it didn't feel like long-term sustainable and um it all kind of just happened by chance but there was an amazing youth service back in the day called connections yes and, uh, you know, hold tight connections, connections. because to be fair yeah man. like i'm sure connections was the only thing mm. that all of us were ever told like i say right. all of us but inner city london kids yeah. were ever told about getting ahead in life it was like yeah. oh yeah we can't help you but connections can right. <laughs> oh, oh you don't know about connections you want oh, work experience so what was hard for me is that where i moved out of my mum's back into the hostel life at like young youth hostels I was back deep in the hood with the very people that I was trying to get away from, right? So there's me, like, trying to get my head down, going college, blah, blah, blah. But then I'm coming home and, like, you know, my hostel door's been kicked off because it's got raided by the police because someone's come in and they brought a gun or there's a fight on the staircase or, you know, there's just people knocking on my door and be like, hey, bring me in, bring me in. You know, and then, like, it's just that kind of lifestyle that you're just trying to get away from, but it's so easy to get sucked back into. And it's tempting. Like, you know, I'm, mm. I'm not saying it wasn't fun. <laughs> like, yeah. And so when my friend had to go to connections and i went along with her and i just got talking to a key worker they just kind of started quizzing me. i didn't even think i needed to be there to be honest i was like no no i'm good my life is good it was bad but it's good now it's fine they basically got talking to me and then quite quickly realized that the house i was the hostel i was living in wasn't wasn't safe like 
thinking about it actually wasn't that safe. And the jobs and everything that I was doing wasn't fulfilling. So they showed me an apprenticeship at the Bush Theatre, which I applied for. And they also showed me how to get a house with Centrepoint, which is a youth homeless charity that support young people who are in need. And those two things were like a real turning point for me. So I got those when I was, I turned 17 and I moved into Centrepoint and got my job at the same time. Okay. And Centrepoint yeah. is, like you said, it's a youth charity that will help young people. Home. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're the leading youth I'd say leading youth hospital hostel provider. Mm -hmm. Like they've got hostels outside of London, but their main base is in London. Mm -hmm. um, and they're incredible. I think you can only get referred via your council now. But yeah, what I guess what was really beautiful about that, those two things happened at the same time, is that it gave me stability. So I was able to get my head down and do a job and then come home somewhere safe where I didn't have all this like madness happening outside my room. Yeah. You know, look, you've got you've got somewhere to live and you've now got an apprenticeship at Bush Theatre. Mm -hmm. How would you say like what what sort of challenges did you face when you were in Bush Theatre? Because obviously you've had up until this point, no one knows what you've pretty much been through. Right. And you're now in this environment, mm. like people are working like this is a nine to five in life. Tell mm. tell us a bit about that transition period. Like Yeah, so the easiest bit for me was the actual job. I was the community engagement apprentice. I had to go out and talk to the local community and get them to come to the theatre. That was so easy because I'd fallen in love with this thing called theatre and I was like, I want to go tell everyone about it. And, you know, I was just, I'm so passionate about talking to people. I would go up and down the market talking to the traders. I'd go into chicken shops and talk to young people. I'd go to my old college. I'd go, you know, that bit was great. The bit that I found really hard was being in an office and being around privilege. That was the first time I'd really come across it. And I didn't have the language then to talk about it. So for me, the only thing I could see was that I was the only person of colour. I was the youngest person. I was the only person who hadn't gone to university. The only person that came from working class background. The only person that called it theatre, not theatre. And like, <laughs> those things were real. Like, you know, you talk about microaggressions and stuff. Like, it was stacked up. And so I'd leave my job every day just feeling like, why am I there? Like, and it wasn't that the girls there weren't nice. They were lovely. And some of them are still really good friends of mine. In fact, one of them is my bestest friend ever. So, you know, I got a lot from it, but I just remember always feeling like not good enough, not smart enough, not able enough. And this whole time, was it more of your own self-voice that was telling you this? So so while you're here, like you're still telling yourself like, yo, mm. I probably don't deserve this. I know yeah. I love theatre, but mm. I'm not good enough you're for this position. You're what you do in here. Yeah. Like, they didn't you know want I mean? you to win. Right. They didn't want no you, to, you win. to win. And so those were kind of definitely in terms of my self-confidence and my own beliefs about who I am, that was 100% under the surface coming through. I didn't think I deserved to be there. And I was constantly waiting for someone to turn around and be like, well, this has been very nice, but there's the door. Like, and you know, and so if you walk into work every day with that fear of like, when are they going to tell me to leave? It completely prevents you from being your whole self. I mean, my defense mechanism I know now is to assimilate. So I look around me and go, hmm, Who's the most successful person in this room? I want to be like them. And that's what I did. So I built this kind of persona on like, what are the girls like at work? And how do I start to be a bit more like them? And through that, did you find that you were losing yourself or strengthening yourself? I stripped my identity. I became someone completely different. And it took me a really long time to realise that there was so much beauty and strength in my life experiences and the diversity of who, what makes me me. And to bring those two things together. So it's okay that I like 
smashed avocado on toast it's also okay that i like dancing to bashman those two things can go together <laughs> no but are you joking yeah, but i remember walking into work yeah and i was listening to vice quartel and i'm like mm, 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 mm. and as i get into the office i start turning the volume down on my headphones because i don't want other people to hear that's what i'm listening to now my biggest question to that is what did you have to give up in order to be in this space that's privilege if you don't have to give up something in order to walk into a room you're privileged and so that's what has guided me and one thing i would say though is i had the most incredible mentor yeah that's what i was gonna yeah, say yeah, yeah, like yeah. what was the turning point so oh, cool man, now is. you're acting as though so, the other girls you're eating your pret soup at mm-hmm. lunch boom like yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. Mean? Oh, no, i mean you're cackling <laughs> oh, my days. i was on £2.50 an hour man all i was right, banging you. Right, i so was still banging out my chicken and chips oh my days so i would literally <laughs> go and get my chicken and chips and sit in the park to eat because i knew that like the girls in the office would like look down at me because i was eating two pound chicken and chips <laughs> right and so it's things like that like it's so it's so ridiculous saying these things out loud now but i would need to share them because i know there are other young people out there who will be listening to this who feel the same thing there'll be different things that they're facing cultural things that there's one thing about professionalism there's another thing about like culture and inclusiveness and i certainly didn't feel included in Mm. in that however I must say, like, the women that I worked with were absolutely incredible, and there wasn't one point where any of them turned around and said to me, overtly, you shouldn't be here, or this Mm. is how you need to be. Like, this was kind of what was going on inside me. Mm. But there were obviously microaggressions and and things that they did indirectly to make me feel like I shouldn't be there. Like, for example, you know, I remember being asked to read uh, Guardian reviews out loud in the office and not being able to because there were so many words there that I hadn't heard of before. Bearing in mind that I got an A star in English from a pro, still didn't put me in the position where, you know, the, the women that I was sat around had been to Oxford and Cambridge. And, you know, and so for them, that stuff was really easy. And, and, and it was things like that. So I'd avoid it. I'd avoid reading out loud in, in the office. I'd avoid answering the phone. I'd, you know, go to these really crazy lengths. But my mentor, Josie Rourke, so she's the most incredible woman. And I'm going to give her a shout out because she just directed a film called Mary Queen of Scots. So it's in the cinemas, go see it. Yes, Josie. Yeah, yeah, go on, Josie. Uh, no, but Josie um, saw something in me that I at the time didn't see myself. And she just completely was the first person that I was able to relate to. And we have very different backgrounds. She went to Cambridge, but she knew what it felt like to be a minority. Like, So she is a, she is a young woman who at the time, I think when she took over the Bush Theatre, she was like 34 maybe like early 30s. And so at the time, like one of the only female artistic directors in London, like usually up against lots of men, like, you know, and yes, it's very different to my life experiences, but being with someone who looks at you and goes, I could tell you're not comfortable right now. It's okay. And a lot of the time, that's all Josie did. Like, you know, but she would teach me things. I'd go to her and be like, oh, you know, the girls in the office are so clever like and i don't know like i can't read these guardian reviews so she'll be like okay so what you need to do is read the reviews get a dictionary learn the words and then you'll know how to read them and i i kind of love that tough love like it wasn't she never turned around and said to me like well that's okay because you're poor and black (laughs) 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 which i know like you know no one would overtly say but actually like someone could have just come and said oh well you know it's okay like one day you'll learn Mm -hmm. no she was like go read Go find out, go explore. And she would bring me into these meetings with her and just showed me this whole new world that I fell in love with and showed me how I could create change in it. So that was like one of the key learnings. And what would you say was like one of the toughest lessons that she probably taught you? Do you know what? It was on a real personal note. So 
I um I've had a really challenging relationship with my dad over the years and he did something that really upset me and I spoke to her about it and and she said to me like you know if he was a character in a play and you wrote this play what would be the point of his words what reaction would he want to get from you and it was just giving me a new lens in order to look at problems and to think about it and be like oh well he probably wants me to be upset and she was like "Mm mm-hmm so what are you gonna do and I was like I'm choosing not to be and it was just the idea of choice a second mentor that came into my life a couple months later is a man called Madani Yunus, who's just taken over the South Bank Centre. And um, he's a man of colour. So he was the first man I met of colour in a really senior position. And, you know, that was quite shocking for me. I think a lot of the time it's like you don't realise the absence until you see it. Mm. So I didn't realise until I met Madani that I hadn't met a man of colour in that position. Does that make sense? Yeah. He banged on and still bangs on at me about owning your narrative. So I got into a trap of of tokenism, which often happens when you've got a powerful story. I would be asked to give talks to funders and I'd kind of be wheeled out at all of these events and being like, you know, I'm Sade, like, you know, I was homeless when I was younger, I was involved in gangs and I've turned my life around, I'm into theatre and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, mate, like, own your story. You don't have to tell your story to nobody. Like, you own it, you choose when to say it, how to say it, who to say it to. That was a really powerful journey of me forming my identity. Sick. So these these two key mm. influential people came in at some point in your life and really were the people that would impact your future. And little did they know no. that they would plant some lemon seeds. Yeah. So now we fast forward a little mm. bit. Like you've worked at the bush. Mm. Um, tell me about some of the places that you've worked, like not in too much detail, but just yeah, on the yeah. top line. Yeah, so when I, I turned 18 and I was invited to work at the Lyric Hammersmith Theatre, which is a really big theatre in West London, and I was given a job as the producer there, which was a, you know, huge opportunity, kind of unheard of, like for an 18-year-old to become a producer. And I was asked to set up a programme that supported emerging artists from diverse backgrounds to get into the creative industries. And it was completely born out of everything I was talking about at the time. So I'd become really interested in representation and that was just an incredible experience i went on to work at ogilvy and mather which is a big advertising ogilvy yes. do you know what's weird i actually right. i met <laughs> up with some people from ogilvy not too long ago that okay. is why i know ogilvy ogilvy is a big ad agency yes big. they're one of the biggest and i went to work there on centerpoint so the youth homeless charity that gave me a home i went back to work on their accounts to raise money for them which was incredible and that was the first time that I learned the power in my lived experience and in my story and how I could use that to create fundraising appeals. So at the time, I remember seeing like concepts mm. for, for fundraising appeal. And it'd be like a young person sat outside prep, like, you know, begging for money. And I was like, that isn't youth homelessness. Like youth homelessness is like staying at a guy's house because you don't have anywhere else to stay and you don't really want to. So then you're leaving at like 5 a.m. in the morning so you go to your mate's house to have a shower before going to school. Like, that's youth homelessness. Like, it's not... It, it takes a very long time to get to the point where you're sat outside prayer. And so it's just that, that, that kind of wisdom and that kind of lens, I guess, strengthened their campaigns and raised money for this charity that had given me a lifeline. Um, after that, I went to work at the Barbican Centre. So, what, the Barbican? Yeah, the Barbican. Concrete Jungle, the yeah. incredible Barbican. And I was um, the community engagement manager. So I worked on all of the work engaging communities in East London. I headed up an ambassador scheme. I worked on the Walthamstow Garden Party, which is a huge award-winning community festival in Walthamstow that happens once a year. I've had some really 
like amazing experiences as a producer and as someone who I guess specializes in like creating work with and for diverse groups Mm -hmm. and now looking back at 16 and then all of the accomplishments that you went on to then achieve in the next four to six years Mm. wasn't like you the the, the kind of growing pains that you experienced and the development was not in your dreams at that time you couldn't even believe that that was going to be a possibility a hundred percent no way Mm. like i find it hilarious when i meet young people and they're like i've got a five-year plan i'm like really like i didn't even have a six-month plan like Mm. You have to, I think I've been, there were some things I've been really intentional about doing and there were other things that I've just been completely surprised by the way it's landed. I'd say every job I've ever had has been created for me in some guise. So it's either been a new position that I've filled or like I've actually had a coffee with a CEO and they've been like, oh yeah, we need a bit of you. Like we're going to create a role for you and you need to come in and do your magic. Mm. And that I think has its pros and cons. Yeah, but it certainly allowed me to be more spontaneous. Okay, and one thing you said at the beginning was that you developed this creative leadership program called yeah. Sour Lemons, right? <laughs> and like that doesn't sound like something the Barbican designed, right? Uh, no. Okay, and what? Where did that? What? What happened at that point? Were you like, you know what? Now, now's the time. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out into this world, and I'm gonna yeah. make my reality or my dreams into a reality. Yeah. So working at the Barbican was amazing because of the reach in, that I had. Like it's a you know international, internationally renowned organization. I had a huge reach. The higher up I got, the less people like me I saw or heard. I started to get frustrated that I was like the voice of the community or the voice of young people. And that wasn't just at the Barbican. That was in every job I've ever had. I had suddenly become the like poster child for all things diverse. And so I'd get called to be like, oh, let's get Sade to sit on the panel. Let's pick Sade's brain about this. And, you know, and it started to help me think like, I'm not the only person out there, guys. There are so many other people um, like me, not like me. <laughs> um, we need to create space for these people to come and lead change. And I think it is, it is an odd one. So you sit around the table and you've got those people like, mm, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's been really diverse. Mm-hmm. And then you look around the room and there's no diversity in any sense of the word. And you're like, okay, so who's going to move over then? Or like, how does that work? Who's getting out the chair? Right. So that was like one of the reasons was like, and I I think I go back to this word privilege a lot because I feel really privileged because of the experiences I've had. Like, you know, a 17 year old having access to the artistic director for the theatre, like that made me very privileged. Like, you know, there were many things that I've had that mainly through networks that have really helped me to excel my career quite quickly and to create a lot of change. I've been given a lot of agency and a lot of trust from individuals. And so when I set up Sour Lemons, it's with the utter belief that I'm not the only person who can do this. There's a generation of young leaders behind me who if they had access to the things that helped me to succeed, there would not be a problem. And so when I designed the leadership program, it was just with that in mind. It was like, how can I throw spaghetti at a group of like ambitious, talented, driven, young leaders who come from all walks of life like diversity in every sense of the word in it like so the idea that when life gives you sour lemons you make lemonade with it it's not just there's intersection of diversity it's not like one thing and i think well it did work it was really successful and so yeah it it was like you said it was diversity and experiences it wasn't you didn't want it to just be like a working class story of like individuals who or black individuals who it's like no there's so many narratives that can make up what it means to be diverse 100 percent, and it's about like how do you use your diversity as your biggest asset like how do you create change through the things that you have experienced in your life Mm -hmm. 
And how do you create that change to in order to make it more inclusive for others who've come from similar backgrounds to you, yours? But then the other side of it was like, what does it mean to be a creative leader? Like, how do you forge your own opportunities? Like, what, who are the networks that you need? What's the knowledge? What's the experiences? What's the skills? And, I, you know, the, the amount of generosity that was poured into the programme is insane. Like, you were working with partners, like... Yeah, so, like, the Roundhouse, like, um, the Tate Modern, Tate Britain, the Barbican, PwC, Unlimited. I mean, we've... If, yeah, we've got... We had over, like, 15 partners who've all contributed different points to the program and their support came to about seventy thousand pounds altogether so not Rah, i know right? a big seven zero I know. so like not in cash terms but you know like the national theater gave us tickets to see barbershop chronicles like that has a cost to it even though we didn't pay for it like so when you add all of that up like all the mentors that gave their time the networking dinners the people who gave talks like you know my time i did it all for free so when I was I was at the barbecue and working full time and I was setting this up in my spare time. So I was working about 60, 70 hours a week to do this, like completely passion driven, didn't have anyone backing me at the point. I got a small grant from Unlimited. They support social entrepreneurs. That was for £5,000. And I used that to develop the brand and to do a launch event and set up a website and blah, blah, blah. I applied for funding and I didn't get through twice. And at the time, it really cut me because I felt like people didn't understand what I was talking about and they wanted me to narrow in and I wanted to be really broad and ambitious. And so I ran a crowdfunder instead and I raised £6,000 through that and that's what I did the programme on. So you had £11,000? All together, yeah. Or £11,000 and then you got £70,000 in kind, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And in this, in this programme, you managed to pick how many individuals? Like 12. 12 and we finished with 11 so we had 12 at the start and then one person had to step out halfway through for family uh, kind of personal reasons and uh but finished with 11 who graduated at the end of the process oh cool and i swear one of the p what wait hold on weren't i on that creative yeah, leadership <laughs> <laughs> hold tight sour yes, lemons each and, and every why, time and this is why this is such an honor being here tonight and that's why it's been such a long time coming like because you know we met actually in this building didn't we, we at did, the roundhouse and yeah. you, know, you know what? I'm going to speak about it from a perspective yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of of someone who went through the creative leadership program. Like, I definitely, like, when I went into it, I didn't know what to expect. So I've seen it. I was sent this this kind of uh, email, like, oh, do you not want to be a creative leader? I was like, this sounds really engaging. But uh, let's just put an application together and see what happens. Next thing I know, I'm in a coffee shop meeting Sade. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, cool. This is kind of what I want to do, like... Uh, yeah I just I, I want to explore I want to make like different connections and I want to see how things really work I've got like this massive like curiosity this burning desire to work out why things are or who it is that's got all the keys to like a gate somewhere and <laughs> you know through that process like we were taken into different institutions that naturally I would have never been invited to and if I was invited it would have been on a face value on a basic level like you can see an exhibition you don't get to speak to one of the the creative directors you don't get to meet one of the the like managers or the CEOs or whoever it is and that instantly like what that done for me was break down barriers in my own mind of what it was that I can see and achieve and all of the people who have left this course have now gone on to go into their desired field to an extent but what's great is the empowerment that all of these individuals ended up having and right now like I can honestly say like 
maybe the where not maybe where I am now job wise and like self belief it wouldn't have been where I would be if had I have not gone on sour lemons and that's a testimony like, that is so amazing and that's to a testimony hear. and that you can that have for free <laughs> you yeah. have that you can sing all night you can have all of that that's a that testimony makes my heart sing. yes and that, I think that loyalty I really feel it strong because it's been a hard journey you know it's just been me chipping away I've got a board of trustees which Raymond is now a trustee so he's technically my boss now which is amazing yes so yes so um and you know and just as a side note like that's the absolute belief that I have like in all of the young leaders lemons that have come via the program like you are all bossing it and and I've you know and are powerful and are creating your own opportunities and are leading generously and are bringing through the next generation and inspiring the next round of young people to come through and And there's definitely something i just want to tap into again because Mm. i like keeping things fairly transparent and open why what were some of the hardest obstacles that you faced while creating sour lemons because it might inspire people and Mm. they might even tap into it and we can find out about like what the future looks like in a second but what were some of the hardest obstacles and how did you overcome that yeah so first one has to be financial so like i said i had six and a half thousand pounds roughly once I developed the brand and stuff to run the program on which meant I didn't get paid and so I did the entire thing for free and so because I did it for free I had to do other freelance work alongside it in order to pay my bills but what that meant was I was absolutely utterly exhausted by the end of the program and it was really hard and I'm really glad I did it because the benefit of having a crowdfund is that there wasn't a funder breathing down my neck asking me or trying to dictate to me how I needed to do it. Like I had the flexibility and the freedom to respond to the needs of the young leaders who came onto the program. But then the downside of not having full funding was that when one of the young leaders came to me and said, I can't pay my rent this month, I had a choice. Okay, does she leave the program or do I just go into my own personal account and pay her rent, which I did. And that those kind of decisions I found really tough because... I know what it feels like to be hungry. I know what it feels like to live hand to mouth. And I couldn't have anyone on the program at an expense of being there. Does that make sense? Mm. So it was almost like, and I think that's where the loyalty comes from you lot, because you saw that I was doing this just out of the pure goodness of my heart. And you saw that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't using it to make money. Like I wasn't, you know, it, it was genuinely because I believe in the cause. So yeah, I guess that's a pro, pro and a con. Um, second one that was really hard practically speaking I was pregnant so when we finished the program I was seven months pregnant so doing imagine working 60 hours a week running this program and growing a tiny human like that was really hard but I overcome it by self-care I guess and then yeah there were kind of practical pitfalls with like setting up a company so like getting registered with the charities commission took about a year being taken seriously because i'm young um yeah but most people who and i've been in meetings with you but most people who have gifted you in kind and Mm. who have met you have always said like you are the heart and soul of why they do what they were doing of why like the idea is great but execution like you are the person that's at the core of it and they're like i trust you and your vision 
yeah, which 100%. is a, a, a crazy position to be in. Like, again, yeah. if we take it back 10 years, yeah, 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 like yeah. you've got now yeah, people yeah. gifting you 70 grand in kind yeah, yeah, yeah. because they trust you and your vision. And that's, I guess, the bit I'm going on at the moment, the journey of how do I then take my lived experience and my story and kind of remove it a bit from Sour Lemons to give space to the young leaders who are coming through mm. because... You're totally right. I have the brand has very much been built on my own personal experiences, and people have gifted, not even necessarily knowing what Sour Lemons is or what it does, like, but they believe in me and they believe in my vision, and that's an incredible feeling. But now, in terms of my legacy, I it's not about me being the face of it. It's about stepping aside so that the young leaders can come through and and drive it forward. Sick. So that's you're talking about legacy to. now. Damn right. Kind of, as we're just naturally moving towards that, mm. what does the future of Sour Lemons look like? Mm. And can we put that out there? So the one thing I've learned since setting up Sour Lemons is that you can't just focus on the individual. So all of the work I've ever done has been around how do you support an emerging leader, an emerging artist to gain the skills, the knowledge, the confidence, the, the networks in order to thrive. And that is one part of it. Like I said, I spent the first part of my career feeling like a complete fraud. But actually, there are barriers in place in organisations that prevent diversity from growing and thriving and succeeding. So our strategy now is to work to train up the young leaders, the lemons, to be consultants who go into these organisations and support them to be more diverse and more inclusive. And always with the viewpoint that we're handing things over. So I don't want to be that charity that you know organizations put a little bit of money in their budget every year and go oh let's get sour lemons in to make it look diverse that doesn't excite me at all so what i want is for the lemons to be in positions of power to be working with organizations you know using their life experiences of being excluded from those organizations to yes create change yes make it more diverse but it's actually the organizational change behind the scenes that's going to be the real impact. So how do those organizations become more inclusive so that if someone does show up, they can show up with their whole self and not feel like they need to be anything but themselves in order to thrive. So our vision, developing this consultancy work, we've got some big partnerships in the pipeline. Um, I've been doing some really cool work around lived experience in the social sector and working with Unlimited to pilot work across the country, looking at like what are the barriers that prevent someone with lived experience of a social issue being the decision maker and creating change behind it. Practically speaking, we're about to launch applications for the next Making Lemonade programme. So we'll be looking for another 12 young leaders to join this crazy thing that you I've heard it up. here first yeah 100%. you heard exclusive <laughs> and yes yeah, so some of the projects are working at the moment so the lemons are designing the outreach for somerset house i'm working with red bull i'm a pico i'm i've just designed the selection process for their red bull academy so that's a 10-day academy program for young social entrepreneurs so applications will be out for that soon as well so check sour lemons website for that but i've just designed that for them so i'll be delivering that in the uk and then i'm going out to south africa in a couple of weeks to deliver it for them there as well so yeah so we're looking at like working in depth with partnerships like it's not enough to just in a tokenistic way be like yeah yeah we're gonna hire like 10 brown people or like <laughs> you know five women are gonna sit on our board woohoo it's like, well, how do you make sure that those people stay there and thrive and then use that diversity to create really amazing things? That's that's the biggest thing behind diversity, right? Like, it just makes sense. The more different types of people you have addressing a problem, the better solutions you'll come up with. So on a real practical level, mm. like, forget diversity being like a heart issue or social injustice. If you have four people who all have exactly the same life experiences, who are all the same gender, same colour, same everything, 
they're going to look at a problem through the same lens. Mm -hmm. The minute you bring different people in, suddenly you've got all these like really rich ideas and experiences that you can put to use on the table and value it. Listen, you are an absolute sick individual and you know what i hate drawing things to a close where can people follow your journey where can they find out about sour lemons give us just the top line just information yeah so instagram so we're at sour lemons uk and same handle across twitter and facebook although i don't really use facebook i'm quite bad at it but instagram definitely at sour lemons uk and our website sourlemons.co.uk final 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 <laughs> final question yeah what has been the most important lesson in life that you've learned? Oh, definitely that my life experiences have given me capabilities that make me a stronger leader. So like my resilience comes from living in 14 different houses. My resourcefulness comes from hustling at a young age. Like, And I guess looking at all the things that I've been through that have been, that at the time I felt were disadvantages or were really tough and taking the good things from them and, and using them to create change. They tried to bury <laughs> us, but they didn't know we were seeds, man. Right. Yo, and when what's what's your what's the lemonade quote? Oh uh, well, when life gives you sour lemons, make lemonade. Damn right, Shade. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, thank, thank you. you, thank you for coming on today. Love and light, and I'm gonna see you guys real soon. Peace out.